Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello and welcome to the Parting Shot Podcast, Newsweek's weekly dose of everything pop culture. I'm your host, H. Allen Scott. From celebrity interviews to exclusive features in the magazine, and of course, everything that's happening in film, TV, music, and the arts, I'm here to tell you exactly what you need to know each and every week. Let's get started. Today I'll be chatting with Hilary Duff, star of Hulu's How I Met Your Father, the sequel to the iconic CBS sitcom How I Met Your Mother. I'll also talk with film buffs Michael Musto, Matthew Jacobs of Thrills.com, and Newsweek's Samuel Spencer about what names will be included in the Academy Award nominations when they're announced next week, Tuesday, February 8th. But before that, here's your roundup of culture stories from this week. Newsweek's Julia Pignataro has the 22 books to look forward to in 2022. A few on the list I'm most looking forward to are Take My Hand by Dolan Perkins Valdez, The Power of Regret, How Looking Backward Moves Us Forward by Daniel Pink, and Finding Me, a Memoir by Viola Davis. Look for the full list in this week's magazine. Megan Gunn has the magazine feature on intangible cultural heritage traditions to celebrate around the globe. UNESCO's compilation of traditions, knowledge, skills, and art from communities across the world. Also in the magazine is my conversation with Tony Award-winning actress Audra McDonald about The Gilded Age, the new HBO show from Downton Abbey creator Julian Fellows. We talked about the lack of black representation in period dramas and how The Gilded Age gets it right. Definitely check that one out. We'll also have some of Newsweek's culture writers on from time to time to discuss exactly what's going on. And of course, stay tuned to the end of this episode for my 60-second roundup of everything you need to watch, read, and look out for in culture next week. But first, my chat with Hilary Duff, right after this break. Hilary Duff is a lot of things to a lot of different people. To some, she's Lizzie McGuire, her Disney Channel star-making turn that debuted in 2001. To others, she's a pop star with, as my partner says, so many bangers that don't get the respect they deserve. Others know her as Kelsey Peters from Younger. And now, new and old audiences will come to know her as the star of Hulu's How I Met Your Father, the sequel to CBS's classic sitcom How I Met Your Mother. I recently spoke with Hillary about what inspired her to take this new role just months after giving birth, how she feels about forever being known as Lizzie McGuire, and the story behind that viral TikTok that quite literally exploded the minds of so many on social media. Were you a fan of How I Met Your Mother? And like, how excited were you to be doing the sequel? Oh, um, well, first I was like nine months pregnant when I got the the phone call. And I was like, are you really calling me about a job? Like, who's going to hire a nine month (laughs) pregnant lady for a job, you know? Yeah. Um. And then I heard what the job was and I was like, are you kidding me? I can't do that. Like, what do you mean? No. And, you know, I've been down the the reboot alley before Mm -hmm. and I was like, I don't know. And then, you know, they're like, well, you we should talk with Isaac and Elizabeth. And then I've learned who Isaac and Elizabeth were. And I was like, oh, shit, this is major. Yeah. And, 
you know, I've watched the show before and I'm familiar with all the characters and like big moments of the show stand out to me. So I know it's, I've seen it at some point, but like, I think when the show was really exploding, I think I was going on tour. Yeah. So it was like before you could just record whatever you watch, whatever you wanted, whenever you wanted, you know? Yeah. And so talking to Isaac and Elizabeth who could like actually sell me a bag of dirty laundry. I was like <laughs> that I'm obsessed. I, w- I want to do this. And yeah. I read the script and it was so good. And it was like five years old <laughs> um, because they were working on, uh, they were doing, they were show running. This is us. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of put this one on the back burner. And then last year realizing they were coming up on the last season of, of this is us. They're like, we're going to get this, you know, up and going. Yeah. And I got a phone call and I'm like, which is, you guys are nuts. Why are you calling me? But thank well, you for thinking I can handle this. That's what I wanted to ask you about because like you, so you had worked on younger and then you had a baby and then you immediately went back into a show. Like, I mean, for, I was thinking of the timeline and I was like, you must hate time off because like, that is like, <laughs> that's like, such, I don't know who would do that. What, what was it like going back to you work You do it so when soon. Isaac and Elizabeth call you. That's when you <laughs> yeah. do it. They literally were, by, by the way, Elizabeth wasn't even on the phone call because she was also like on her way to the hospital to have a baby. And, and Isaac was like, I'm so sorry. Elizabeth can't make it. She's on her way to like Cedars to have a baby. And I was <laughs> and like, you're like, I'll be there. I'm tonight. about to have a baby any day now. So like, <laughs> what are we actually talking about? And then but I was obsessed with the script and even it being five years old and like some of the jokes were dated. I was like, mm-hmm. this is so good. Yeah. And I get this character and I love her. And it was just like, I don't know. He was excited about me. And when you feel wanted, like, yeah, that's everything. And literally they're like, okay, how much time do you need? And I was like, six months, seven months. And they were like, great. We'll see you in four months. I'm like, ah, okay. It actually ended up being like five months, but still like, it was a quick turnaround time, but you know, we had Pam Fryman who was like Mm -hmm. on board to direct most of the episodes and Carter and Craig were producers. And it was very much, you know, the pressure was off because everyone was like, this is a different show. This is not, we are taking this wonderful title and we are telling it from the woman's perspective, who is you. Mm-hmm. And we're, all the characters are new and no one's like, oh, this is the Barney. This is the, this is the, this person, you know, yeah. this, these are new characters. And like, I think it's so brilliant that in the first episode, it ends in Ted's apartment mm-hmm. and you just realize these, these are the new occupants, you know, yeah. these are the new residents of this magical place that everyone knows and loves but it's we're very much being like sent on our own journey and it's a it's i mean what i think what's so great about it is it's it's not even a reboot it's a sequel in a lot of ways it's a it's a total new iteration in in a really sort of interesting very 2022 way which i mean did that appeal to you so much so and I didn't even know you know reading the pilot because it had to be punched up because it was five years old yeah um I just was taking their word for it. Like, okay, where's the show going? Like where, who, who are these people going to become who, you know, Ellen, I don't even think was like in that, that was not like a brother, sister mm-hmm. storyline. And it's just, it, it really has a lot of heart and it's funny and it's a little dirty, but you know, there, there's really special moments and meaningful. And the, and the original show had that too, where you're yeah. like, Oh God, you're tugging on my heartstrings, but then we're all going to laugh. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. it's the classic sitcom, but yeah. it's really fun. And and they also 
also promised me, they're like, this is not just like your run of the mill sitcom five, five camera operation. Like it's mm-hmm. going to be a hybrid. We're going to be filming on the streets of New York. We're going to be like, it's going to be more grounded. And it definitely is. Which is, I mean, so exciting and kind of gets me to my next question for you. Like, I think what a lot of fans are probably asking is how is How I Met Your Father different from How I Met Your Mother? And I mean, I would assume that being on Hulu probably gives you even more freedom than the original had being on network television. I don't know about that. I mean, yes, in some areas, but then no in others where I'm like, I watch some of the original and I'm like, what? (laughs) I can't believe they could say this. Like they got away with some things that were just wickedly cancelable right now. (laughs) Yeah. But like, I mean, in the most funny way, but like, but that was the era. I mean, that was, it was a, that was was the era. And it was just a a testament to the times. Exactly. So the things that we want to get away with are not offending anyone, but you know, we, more, more sex, more, you know, which is actually really fun for me because mm-hmm. I had my first sex scene ever. But that's, I mean, that's, that must be sort of really evolved. I mean, that's one of the things that I wanted to ask you actually, like, you know, I've seen you since Lizzie McGuire to, yeah. to Kelsey Peters. And now as Sophie, like what kind of evolution as an, as an actress for you is how I met your father. Like, it seems like it's taking you in different directions, which is really exciting. It is. And you know, it's nice to just do 30 year old things in a, in a, I'm in my thirties, you know, and, and even though I'm at a completely different, I have way more responsibilities than Sophie and way more logistics to deal with than Sophie. Mm -hmm. Um, it's really freeing to like play this girl who doesn't have all that weight on her of, you know, knowing my family's waiting for me at home or did my kid get picked up from going from this place to that place? Is everyone fed? Does everyone have shoes on? Is everyone doing okay without (laughs) their mother right now? Like all of that. It's just a lot of, of stress. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Sophie has stress of a different kind and, um, I'm just, I'm attracted to how effervescent she is. And it's, it is a little bit of a challenge to come to work today and shake off like, or come to work every day and shake off some of the not heaviness of my life. It's not heavy. It's just the mominess of it, the mominess of it all. Yeah. And I get to be like a little more wide-eyed. Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think in a lot of respects too, considering like you were saying, like the original had some things content on it and that was from the early aughts to that was a different time in television. And we could probably make a very good case that it was not the most inclusive time. So there were lots of jokes and things that were, like you said, cancelable that mm-hmm. in nowadays we're more aware of and we're more yeah. accepting and, and like I said, inclusive. And I think the cast and the story of How I Met Your Father is really that. It's it's being 2022 in a really interesting way in that it's telling your story, but it's also telling all these different, your the friends, Sophie's friends stories that are that are uniquely diverse in really special ways. And I, I want to know if that like appealed to you in any way. I think one of the, the magic tricks that the writer's room keeps doing is like, we have this very diverse cast and, and, you know, sexuality is exp- like, like Tien's character, like Tien is gay in real life and married to a woman and yeah. Ellen is newly divorced. And, but her issue isn't that she's gay. She's not coming with like this trauma of her sexual orientation or whatever. She's coming with the fact that she's in a shit show of a divorce, you know? 
but she slides right in and fits right in. And that's mirroring what friend circles look like right now in real life. And so we're not having to explore that. It just is. Yeah. And I love that. I'm like, this is just a new tone of like, we're not having to be like, oh, sob story coming out. Mm-hmm. gay you're just gay and you are and we here yeah. we all are you know and, and you, it's like it's just breezed over because that's what it should be mm-hmm. you know and I you don't love need that. the explanation of it you don't need the setup of her struggles or their struggles in, in any capacity it's just sort of I mean as a gay person watching television that's a really exciting thing because it's it's you know I like my friends and I always say like like, I can't believe we're still having this conversation exactly. about gay marriage or gay people or gay. And like, we, we, we just all are here and it is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really kind of refreshing. And that's something that like, I mean, for me, one of the things that I love about just you and your career, you've always sort of been, of course, you were a child star and, and you went in lots of different directions. You did lots of different things, but you were always inclusive. You didn't get that from all of our child stars, if you will. And I think, I mean, I think for us, one of the best things that we saw even like during the pandemic is that like that dance video that went viral of you dancing on a show way back when. And then you did the TikTok of you dancing now. And it was just sort of like, in a weird way, it was kind of like a love letter because we were fanning out on it. And I wanted to know if A, do you do you recognize that, that sort of special relationship you have with people in who've been following you for so long? And and, and if that sort of just excites you, that nostalgic factor of who you are to us. I think that's a really loaded question. Yeah. Um, and I, I think a huge testament and a huge, like, hands up, bow down to Lizzie McGuire, mm-hmm. you know, and that just that those lines are super blurry of like, I am her, she is me. But in that moment in time, everyone needed her, you know, the the young people of our generation were like really forming who they were at that time. And she was their friend and she accepted. And like, not that we touched on, I don't even think we got the opportunity to touch on like a friend being gay on that show or, or like, I don't know, Matt being gay or something like that, you know? Yeah. But you know, then my career was I was like starting to sing and beat all I wanted to do was Britney Spears. But I remember like singing and no one really taking me seriously. And it was Mm. really the gay community that got behind me and made my songs be on the radio and showed up to my concerts. And, you know, it was so fucking cool that the fans were just loud about me. And, um, and I was like, so forever grateful. And then the TikTok thing. That one's like a hard one for me because, um, you know, my whole life you could dig up somewhere and like, I'm not proud of every moment in my life. Like, and that particular time for me, like, I think I was maybe eating like 600 calories a day. Like that was kind of a dark moment, Yeah. but you know, all of the journey that I got through, like took me here and I wouldn't change any of it. But like video was obviously a tough, a toughie, Mm -hmm. but like, it would not leave me alone. And so I was like, I'm coming to peace with this. Here I go. And I like figured out TikTok in my bathroom and (laughs) danced my face off. And like, it was really fun. And I was like, cool. Like I'm going to join in this joke and have some fun, but like, please don't let it like dig up every other embarrassing moment of my childhood. Yeah. 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 That's, that's so interesting because I do think like on some, and this is my last question for you, but like how, I mean, I know like Lizzie McGuire is still such a big thing. How do you feel about, I guess, being connected to Lizzie McGuire in such a personal way for people? Do you know what I mean? 
and and does do you ever sort of like do you ever get angry about being like I'm doing other stuff or is it sweet? Well, I did for such a long time, like you know, really being from like 16 to probably 25, I was like so annoyed. Like I just, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've done a lot in my career. I sold yeah. a shit ton of records. I've like yeah. done arena tours multiple mm-hmm. years in a row, like a lot. And I think that for a while it was a little frustrating and I, I flailed a bit, like trying other things. And then when I realized like how much I actually love her mm-hmm. and maybe that's learning to love myself in a weird meta kind of way. Yeah. You know, like it's yeah. all just easy now. I don't, yeah, doesn't affect me. And I feel so grateful to have touched so many lives and to still see ferocious support from people. Like it's mm-hmm. crazy. And it's brought me here. It, you know, my experience on younger too, like I loved that job. Yeah. I loved not having to like carry that show on my shoulders. Like I did Lizzie, mm-hmm. you know, I think it was just like, I needed that in my life. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it brought me here and this feels really right as well. So it's yeah. just, I've had a really cool career and I've had a lot of literally, like I said, just ferocious support. Like sometimes it feels like everyone's behind me, just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're going to keep going. Yeah, it's really, really cool. And I feel, cool. I don't know why this was like my purpose in life to be like a connector, you yeah. know, I feel like, do just feel like people I can connect in mm-hmm. a way that means something to people and they feel a friendship. And that's, yeah. you know, that's really special. That's really special. Well, my boyfriend will kill me if I don't ask the question that he's begging me to ask you, will you do more music? Because he says you are, well, you put out so many bangers as he said, and, and, <laughs> and that he's desperate for new music, desperate. That's so nice. I'm, I, I am, I really like a month ago, just told my husband, I was like, I think I want to get into the studio, but I feel really nervous. Yeah. And he was like, let's do it. Let's do it. He's like, you feel fucking nervous. I'm nervous. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm more nervous. Like you do it all day long. You know, you go and like create all day long. And a lot of the times I create stuff that's like written for me. And mm-hmm. like, there's like, I obviously am playing in that zone, but there's some like borders to it. And for mm-hmm. just starting to create a new record, it feels scary. And I, I've had to say it a couple of times today, but like, I hate when I go to a concert and they don't play the hits, the bangers, yeah. Yeah. As your boyfriend would say. Yes. So like, I I'm trying to figure out what, what I do that's like self-serving and authentic to who I am now. And what mm-hmm. people also want out of me. It's very complicated. Yeah. Well, very exciting. Well, thank you so much for taking yeah. the time to do this. I really appreciate it. And I can't wait to. That was a see lot more. of fun. So the Oscars are right around the corner, which I'm super excited about. This is my Super Bowl every single year. They'll be announced next week, Tuesday, February 8th. And I have some amazing people here to talk about who we think is going to be nominated at the announcement next week. First off, Michael Musto. Just literally, if you haven't read the book, La Dolce Musto, you need to. It is iconic, iconic writing. Michael Musto, welcome. Hello. Thank you so much. And then from Thrills.com, we have Matt Jacobs. Hello, hello. And then finally, Newsweek, Samuel Spencer. Hello. <laughs> Love it. All the way from London. <laughs> Love the accent. So let's just break down the list of, of categories, the major categories, and just sort of do a deep dive. Now, Michael, 
best supporting actor i feel like there are some locks in but there's like this is seems like the category where anybody can just kind of jump in there don't you think well i think cody smith mcphee is a lock to win for power of the dog a movie about toxic masculinity he was quite touching and there are some interesting twists to the plot which i won't give away my other nominees are believe it or not jared leto for house of gucci that is yeah. a performance that really divides people i happen to think he was brilliantly over the top and just the perfect tone that ridley scott was going for in that movie uh Ciaran hines for belfast troy kotzer for coda yeah. uh, and i'm actually predicting a nomination for ben affleck for tender bar i thought he was the best thing in that movie and it yeah. would be ben's first acting nomination but cody cody smith mcphee for the win isn't it surprising that Ben Affleck has never been nominated for an acting? I mean, maybe it's not surprising. He's maybe never been. I think it's because they saw what he did in Shakespeare in Love and were like, no, we're never going to give him a nomination. <laughs> <laughs> the actor. So that's it. You get one of those and then never again. Well, so I for a supporting actor, I mean, don't you, Matt, don't you think maybe, I mean, there's been a lot of talk that Bradley Cooper could, all, or Jamie Dornan as mm-hmm. well for Belfast, could like sneak in there somehow in the mix. What do you, What do you think about that? Yeah, Bradley Cooper has interesting momentum because he has two performances in contention this year, the other being Nightmare Alley, which is a lead performance. But sometimes when you have actors giving two performances in the same year and only ending up with one nomination, you get kind of some juice from the other that says, well, he was great in Nightmare Alley. Let's also give him a boost for this like gonzo, like tour de force performance that he does in in Licorice Pizza, even though he's really only in about 15 minutes of that movie. And Michael, do you think they're just going to give it to... to Ben Affleck just because they can they want to see J-Lo at the Oscars? <laughs> no, because they won't still be together by then. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Matt, I want to ask you about Best Supporting Actress. Another, now this is exciting. Literally, there's two showdowns this year for Best Supporting Actress and Best Actress. And this yeah. category is really, really interesting to me. Who do you think is up? I agree. I think this is the most interesting and perhaps the most open-ended category. I mean, I think we're looking at a Kirsten Dunst win here for The Power of the Dog. Uh, She also has the perfect narrative behind her because she's been so underappreciated for so long. She's done such consistently good work for three decades and never received an Oscar nomination. But she has really fierce competition from Ariana DeBose for... West Side Story, Ruth Nega, who does a brilliantly elegant performance in Passing, Ingenue Ellis, who missed out on a SAG nomination, surprisingly, for King Richard, Marley Matlin for Coda, and Dowd for uh, Mass, Um, Rita Marino, another West Side Story contender. So she has a lot of people kind of in the wings there wanting to take it from her, but but hopefully this is going to be Kirsten's win. Rita Marino getting a nomination for a film she won an Oscar for what yes. years ago is is that would be iconic sam what do you think about supporting actress um for me um ariana debose was just the um breakout performance of this year um you a it's good for oscar nerds like me because you know she would win an oscar for a performance that someone else has already won an oscar for and i live for that kind of stuff but when you watch west side story the moment she comes on you're like um you know to quote a previous oscar bait film a star is born um, yeah. Obviously, um, Broadway people will know her and love her, but I'm um, being here in London, not so okay with that kind of stuff. And I saw that and I was like, give, you know, give her um, the award. Um, I understand as well, you know, Kirsten Dunst, it feels that it's time. But um, I think the whole problem we've had with the Oscars is that it's always we're about, oh, it's time for this person. And I think sometimes like Olivia Coleman in The Favourite, you have to just be like, no, this was the performance. Um, yeah. This was the time. This was the performance. 
um, and give it to our players. Yeah, Michael, do you think it's going to be a showdown? Do you think it's going to be Kirsten Dunst or Ariana? Like, what's your what's your take? Uh, I happen to agree it'll be Ariana DeBose, which is another way of honoring Rita Moreno because it's for the same part, Anita, that Rita won for. Uh, Ariana, by the way, here's an interesting fact. She would be the first openly queer person to win an acting Oscar. In other words, openly queer when they won, not later. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's not the reason to give it to her, but she's fantastic in the film. Chris, uh, Kirsten Dunst, this would be her first acting nomination. I don't think she's given enough to chew on in the movie to really win. Anjanu Ellis would be my choice to win, but I don't think she's going to get it. But she's definitely getting the nomination. And she's not ruled out of winning because she didn't get a SAG nomination. Regina right. King did not get the SAG nomination when she won the Oscar. Yeah. I'm also predicting for nominations Katriana Balfe for Belfast. She gives a lovely performance as the mother. And Ruth Nega for playing the woman who passes in passing. Mm-hmm. But I'm going for Ariana to win with Kirsten as an outside runner-up. I think Ariana was so good. I think Ariana's going to take it. I mean, I just don't think you, even even after seeing, because I saw Power of the Dog, and then as soon as I saw West Side Story, I was like, you can't deny Ariana this Oscar. I mean, she carried that film. It was just so, so good. They're keeping that West Side Story campaign alive despite its disappointing box office performance. Yeah. I mean, Ariana hosting SNL at just the right moment. Mm-hmm. The cast is very visible. I think this is a movie that the Academy will want to support even though it did not see the commercial success that I think a lot of us anticipated for yeah. it. Now, Sam, I want to get to Best Actor because sure. I, I, every year out of all the major categories, there's always one boring category for me. And I think Best Actor might be the boring category this year for me, just because they're great performances, but I'm just also like, they, they seem sort of expected to me in a lot of ways. Who do you think is going to get the nomination for Best Actor? Well, it's interesting you said that it was expected because when I went into seeing King Richard, every single second of that film, you're like, this film only exists to give Will Smith another chance for an Oscar. Um, There there seems to be no other reason for it to exist. You know, if it was meant to be a story of the Williams sisters, that's what it would be. It would not be a story about their father. So I think all of the um, kind of Hollywood machinery is on this kind of Will Smith who else um, the only, well, I think the real only real competition he has is Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, he started the um, the season well with his getting his little interviews out about how method he was with his I gave myself nicotine poisoning six times during that performance. So that was obviously his like big attempt of being I'm a serious actor. I'm not just, you know, one of these British thespians that you um, like to give an award to every kind of three years or so. Um, it's a great performance. Um, and I think actually his performance may be the reason that Kirsten Dunst doesn't get hers because I think you come out of that film thinking about Benedict um, rather than Kirsten. The only two that I think could knock those off, Andrew Garfield's like a weird um, off to the um, kind of side nomination. I have to confess, I haven't seen Tick, Tick, Boom because I wasn't ready to accept that the guy who made Rent was straight. Um, <laughs> I'm, I can't live in that world. Um, he's done amazing work in the past. Um, he's really capable of things, but I feel that his Oscar could kind of is going to come in the future. I don't think that people are going to think he's ready. You have the legacy of, uh, you know, Denzel, um, Tragedy of Macbeth. You know, it's great work. The question is, is the Academy ready to give Apple TV Plus a, um, a big award? I'm not sure. Yeah. And that I mean, then that leaves sort of who could fill out that last category. And I think for me, at least, it seems like a like a toss between either Peter Dinklage for Siriano, because that seems to be getting a lot of movement right now. And also Javier Bardem for being the Ricardos. If that has a good showing, I think he could probably sneak in there. What, what, Michael, what do you think? 
Yeah, I agree. The fifth nomination is between Dinklage and Bardem. I think if being the Ricardos gets the Best Picture nomination, which it just got a PGA or Best Producer, whatever their big award is, uh, yeah. then it would be Bardem. I, I thought Dinklage was terrific. Yeah. Uh, and I agree with him about Snow White, by the way. <laughs> but the, the award is definitely a toss-up between Cumberbatch and Will Smith. Yeah, uh, yeah I agree that uh, King Richard, I mean, he has a speech towards the end, Will Smith, that is just screaming, give me the Oscar. <laughs> you know? but I, I think i'll go with will to win yeah what a, he's never won neither has benedict but yeah and it does feel in a weird kind of way similar to the kirsten dunn's kristen dunn's sort of you know thinking is that it is kind of his time he's he has done some great work in oscar history and it, it seems fitting in a way what about you matt what do you think yeah, I mean, I think you're exactly right that it is Will Smith's quote unquote time uh, and understandably so. I mean, I think it's always interesting when we have these front runners minted so early in the race. And I think Will Smith was sort of called very, very early on before anyone had seen King Richard or most of any of these movies. And it's always interesting whether that results in somebody just sliding all the way to, to victory sort of mm -hmm. unchecked or if, or if the momentum sort of falls apart at the, the end, especially because King Richard you know, underperformed at the box office and it's a little hard to kind of track buzz in general this year, yeah. just with the word weird kind of circumstances of where we are. But yeah, I mean, I do think it's just a an Oscar performance through and through. Mm -hmm. And I think with regard to that fifth slot, I just think it seems like we cannot underestimate being the Ricardos and the yeah. power of the Sorkin machinery. That's and you also the have to remember- year. Yeah, well, I mean, but then you think about how many actors have worked with Sorkin and how many people love him and yeah. defend him. And he just um, got off his the the Oscar. He was nominated uh, like what was it last year or the year before for the He was um, nominated Chicago? last year for Trial of Chicago 7 and I yeah. think it was he was close to winning a screenplay Oscar for that and then it went to Emerald Fennel instead for yeah. Promising Young Woman. So I just think there's this sense of like you know, Aaron Sorkin is this almost in a weird way kind of populist, you know, yeah. favorite among the among the industry. Definitely. You no, know, being the Ricardos to me was the 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 shock of the year. I mean, I I was very scared of seeing it. And then when I saw it, I was like, oh, this is actually good. Michael, I want to get I want to give you my fate, my literally the category I am actually obsessed with. I have never been more angry in my life. No, I take that back. When Felicity Huffman lost the Oscar to Reese Witherspoon for Walk the Line, I was very angry that year. But this year, I was very angry when Kristen Stewart did not get nominated for the Screen Actors Guild Award. I was actually shocked. I had no idea. What? Who do you think is up for Best Actress this year? I was surprised, but I was not upset. I mean, I was upset. I was upset. Her entire performance is done in kind of stage whisper, <laughs> in kind of halting tones. Um, I don't get it, but I think she'll probably get the nomination. Yeah. Um, I'm actually going for Nicole Kidman to win her second Oscar. Really? Uh, partly because of the expectation. Remember, everyone was saying, how could you cast someone whose face can't move yeah. as a rubber face comedian? Well, it turns out um, they were right, but also <laughs> um, she's not playing Funny Lucy. She's very yeah. rarely Funny Lucy. She's playing, you know, Lucy under attack. I'm not a communist, uh, on and on. It's a very talky screenplay. I don't get the raves for that. They just go from one topic to the other and then back again, talk, 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 talk. Yeah. But I don't see anyone else winning uh, because Kristen Stewart can't win for that performance. I'm sorry. Jessica Chastain will be nominated for Eyes of Tammy Faye. She was terrific. She threw herself into the role. Yeah. Uh, not a great film, but a terrific performance. Olivia Coleman, I would gladly give her another award for Lost Daughter. She will get nominated. And I adored Penelope Cruz and Parallel Mothers. Uh, yeah. I think Lady Gaga will be squeezed out, but she's the one waiting in the wings as the sixth. Do you think Penelope will will squeeze 
uh, Lady Gaga out, or will that's have... what I'm predicting? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I, I liked Alana Haim in um, Licorice Pizza, but it's not the kind of Oscar-nominated award. It's more attitude, you know. It's, yeah, it's not that kind of thing. She doesn't have any breakdown scenes. And the surprise for me, at least with the Screen Actors Guild, was that Jennifer Hudson got nominated for Respect. Matt, do you think, like, I mean, of I think it's pretty much expected that Olivia, Nicole, Kristen, and Jessica will be the four definite nominees. So that fifth one, who do you think will fill out that fifth role? Well, to speak to the Jennifer Hudson at all, you can never discount a biopic performance like right. that. I mean, to play somebody who, uh, you know, as legendary as Aretha Franklin, I mean, and it's, it's an interesting performance. I mean, it's not a great imitation of her. She doesn't really look or sound a whole lot mm -hmm. like Aretha, but Aretha's death is still, you know, on on our memory. And, and I think Jennifer Hudson has a lot of goodwill within the industry. True, but, so. but, but three of the lock nominations are already biopics. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I mean, I think it's I think it comes down to Kidman in the end, which, you know, is, is sort of a bummer to me because I just think she's given such more interesting performances yeah. uh, elsewhere in the course of her career. And so to see her win, I mean, I love her performance in the hours, but to see her win for playing another famous person yeah. um, just feels like yeah. God, she's done such more interesting work elsewhere. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't discount another Olivia Coleman win. She clearly is an industry favorite. I think if I'm curious to see how The Lost Daughter will play, because I think some people find it to be a very difficult movie. I adore it, but I understand being alienated by it and whether that could jeopardize her or some of the other folks um, from that movie. Um, and I guess there's the vague question of could Rachel Ziegler or Frances McDormand pull out a surprise in that fifth yeah. Slot. I don't think it will happen, but I don't think it's impossible. Depends on how much love they give West Side Story, really, I think. Yeah. Um, so definitely. Sam, do you, I mean, who, yeah. anyone else that you think needs to be credited this year for Best Actress? Like anyone that you think might sneak in there as a surprise? Well, first of all, I want to say that there is only one Best Actress worthy performance that Nicole K Kidman gave this year, and it was the AMC Theatre ad. Um, <laughs> so I think that's going to take the, fourth, the fifth stop, probably. Yeah. Um, I think... We're discounting Lady Gaga too easily. I think she's um, making the rounds. She's doing the. She's work. just she. I mean, the whole thing feels like she's cosplaying as an actress. Really, um, yeah. she's you know all these constant interviews about you know I felt I was going to be killed because I was so in the role. Um, I think there's probably a certain fringe of the um, Academy who aren't paying so much attention who. If you think of who was an actress in 2021, you're like, oh, it was Lady Gaga, of course. So I think she um, might sneak in. And I would love it if Olivia Coleman can beat Lady Gaga for Best Actress for the second time. Again, yeah. Would yeah. Soothe my soul. Olivia Coleman is great. I interviewed her for, for that. And, and she is just, I mean, she's a gem and a half. She really, it would be a delight to see her win just because I want to see her on stage. Um, so Matthew, I want to get to best director. So best director, yeah. I, I'm actually very excited for best director just because I like the idea of Jane Campion, the second woman ever to be nominated for an Oscar. I, mm -hmm. I like her getting in there and getting that gold that I feel like she, you know, if, if Steven Spielberg hadn't directed Schindler's List in 1993, Jane Campion probably would have won the Oscar. And it's and here they are competing against each other again. It's sort of yeah. It's, it's sort of like a wonderful. So so besides Jane Campion and definitely probably Steven Spielberg and Kenneth Branagh for Belfast, who do you think is going to get for Best Director? Yeah, I mean, I think this is another stacked list of possibilities. I mean, I think I think it's Jane Campion's award to win. I don't think she has a serious serious contender up against her. But we have Denny Villeneuve. Uh, I think people are very curious to see what kind of performance Dune does. I'm Obviously, surprised by get... the talk about Dune. 
Well, obviously it didn't get SAG love because it's not really a cast movie. Dune is not something that you go to see great performances in. In fact, I don't think it really has any great performances, but it is certainly a spectacle to behold and will do very well in the below the line categories. And I think that obviously translates up to to the direction, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we have Paul Thomas Anderson for Licorice Pizza in there. I think we can't underestimate the power of the increased international uh, presence within yeah. the, the broader academy, which could um, boost Pedro Amadovar, who's been nominated before, or Hamaguchi, who directed Drive My Car, which is a kind of talky, poetic, three-hour Japanese movie that's making yeah. a big splash. And then I think people have been sort of writing off Adam McKay in this category, but I think we also can't underestimate Mm. Don't Look Up. And I think people seem to love Adam McKay. Everybody seems so desperate to work with him and be in his projects. And then I think there's also Maggie Gyllenhaal for The Lost Daughter. You never know. Yeah, the Maggie Gyllenhaal, I think The Lost Daughter is probably, Lost Daughter and Belfast, I think are going to have the stronger showing than people maybe are expecting right now. Mm -hmm. And I think, I mean, they love, I mean, Michael, what, I mean, do you think that Maggie Gyllenhaal could actually sneak in there for best director? Cause they love actors turned directors. I would love that. I like the film a lot. Uh, her direction was terrific, but I think her best chance is for screenplay. Mm, yeah. um, Jane Campion is a shoe in to win. Yeah. Uh, it's a very directed piece, Power of the Dog. Um, the DGA went for Campion, Spielberg, Brana, Anderson and Villeneuve. For my Oscar predictions, I'm dropping Villeneuve and putting Hamaguchi for Drive My Car. So, okay, now the big award, best picture. It's, I feel like, you know, we can just say definitely The Power of the Dog, definitely West Side Story, almost definitely King Richard. Who, Sam, who do you think would, give me like another, give me one that you think will definitely sneak in there as well out of those, after those three. Um, I think they're going to give a slot to Dune um, as a kind of, um, obviously there's been these rumbles about, they had the kind of much mocked ideas for like best popular film, um, and I think that kind of slot that you get sometimes that's been like Toy Story 3 or up yeah. where they kind of give it to the kind of big, well-made film. I think um, it'll be doing. What about you, Matt? Who do you think will will sneak in there? Well, one movie that I don't think we've mentioned significantly yet is Coda. Mm. Uh, it had a gigantic sale out of Sundance last year, went to Apple TV Plus for $25 million, which set a Sundance record. And I sort of thought, I mean, I like the movie. I think it's a nice tearjerker, gentle family friendly kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I thought it would sort of fade in the awards conversation and it really hasn't. It got the SAG ensemble nomination. And I think even if it misses out on any individual nominations, mm-hmm. um, I think it could will still get the best picture. I love nomination. the return of Marley Matlin. I love Marley. Yeah. I want more Mar- and I want her to wear the same Oscar dress she won for her best actress Oscar <laughs> in 1986. She could still fit into it. Now, Michael, yeah. I want I want to end with you. Who do you think will win best picture and who do you think will round out? Cause I mean, the best picture nominees can be up to 10, right? You can, how do you think we'll fill out the rest of this category? I think this year they decided it will be 10, not just up to 10. Oh, okay. But this is the first year there will actually be 10 nominees. I think Power of the Dog is a winner. I think in a better year it would not win, yeah. but it's sort of a lifetime achievement. And like I said, it's a very directed piece. The other nominees I predict will be West Side Story, Belfast, Licorice Pizza, Dune, King Richard, Coda, Don't Look Up, Tick, Tick, Boom, and possibly Tragedy of Macbeth, which I think is absolutely one of the best films of the year, one of the best Shakespeare films ever made, but seems to be fading from the awards conversation for some reason. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's, and just to give a final thought, there is some talk about possibly Spider-Man sneaking in there. 
No, no. Even my dead body. I have a feeling this crowd is not the Spider-Man crowd to get Best Picture <laughs> nomination. <laughs> it would be infuriating. Yeah. But, yes. um, but I am I happy to we'll see, see some. I'm happy to see some big flops in there, like Coda. The Coda <laughs> was a terrific movie until at the end they kind of wrapped up every little plot thing happening with a big Hollywood bow. Why is this even yeah. a film? Yeah. But I think people admired the effort and the cast was terrific. I love uh, that we we love to see a big flop just sneak. I mean, that's just like the. The, the naughty people in us being like, yeah, we want to see something bad sneak in there just so we well, can- Well, our, our happiest day was when Hurt Locker beat Avatar. Yes, <laughs> it's true, <laughs> it's true, what a moment. Well, I want to thank you all so much for doing this and maybe we'll have you all back for to talk about who will win later on in March because the Academy Awards yeah. will be Sunday, March 27th. So we'll definitely have you guys back to talk about that. Thank you guys so much for being here. Just please don't mention how all of our predictions were wrong for the moment. <laughs> right. Well, we'll talk about it when we have you guys back. <laughs> okay. Your roundup of everything you need to watch, read, and look out for in culture next week in under 60 seconds. This is basically my workout for the week, so just bear with me. Okay, start the clock. The biggest thing to watch this week is the 2022 Winter Olympics, airing on NBC and streaming on Peacock. Fat Tuesday, the era of hip-hop and comedy, is a new docuseries debuting this week on Amazon Prime. After releasing the singles Start the Healing and Forgotten, the heavy metal band Korn will be releasing a new studio album called Requiem this week. And if you're like me and you don't really care about the Olympics, I'm sorry, I'm not a sports person, then CBS's third season of Celebrity Big Brother is for you. And finally, there are some fun new films coming out this week. Halle Berry is in the new film called Moonfall. It's about the moon getting off its orbit and potentially crashing into Earth. No spoiler alert. I don't know if that happens, but it's very dramatic. Uh, Ethan Hawke has a new film called The Black Phone. It's about a child killer and a soundproof basement, and it's a thriller, and it seems very dark. I probably will be skipping that one, but that might be for you. And then finally, there's Jackass Forever, starring Johnny Knoxville and the whole crew of guys. They're back after 11 years getting into all kinds of painful trouble. Ooh, I did it. What did I miss? Let me know what you're watching this week. You can find me at H. Allen Scott on everything. And thanks for listening to the Parting Shot Podcast. For more on the latest news and podcasts, head to Newsweek.com and follow Newsweek on all social platforms. I'll be back next week with a hilarious chat with SNL's Cecily Strong. Until then, have a great week! (laughs) 